Hey everyone, welcome to episode 27, part B of the Passion Effect podcast. I'm Jack Pittman, thank you so much for joining us once again. Today's episode is the final section of this two-part interview with Dr. James Morton, who is a clinical hematologist, founder of World's Greatest Shave, and founder of the Autism Early Intervention Outcomes Unit Foundation for Children with Autism. Today, Dr. Morton is here to tell us about his work with the AEIE Foundation and why he established it. We resume our conversation by talking about how and why Dr. Morton set up the AEIOU Foundation. Here it is. Dr. Morton, I understand you and your wife established the Autism Early Intervention Outcomes Unit Foundation for Children with Autism. You did that back in 2005, and I know you do a lot of work there. I was just wondering if you could tell us the story behind establishing that foundation. Okay, so AEIOU is what we call it. Um, the, the vowels... Uh, reflective of the challenges these children have with acquisition of language. Obviously, the vowels are part of every word. Um, so there's a picture of the shave in 2000 where I've got no hair on my head and I'm holding up my newborn son who also has no hair on his head, and that was Andy. And in 2002, Andy, who had passed his second birthday, had no language. Um, he was incredibly socially anxious. We could not get out of the house with him or he'd throw on enormous turns. He wanted to watch the same Wiggles video over and over again. And it all culminated at one of those McDonald kids parties where he was sitting and banging his head against the glass panel under a smiling Ronald McDonald. And he got a diagnosis of uh, what was then called autistic disorder. And uh, that began our journey. And what's very clear with these children is uh, in Andy's case, so he would now be called level three autism. So he had very severe or profound uh, autism. Um, he's got an intellectual impairment. So his IQ is about 40. And for these children at that end of the spectrum, um, what is fascinating about them is their splinter skills. So Andy's, despite his intellectual impairment, has got a phenomenal memory. He just has to hear the first bit of a song and he'll tell you what that song is. I can remember when his older sister first brought home little cards with letters on it that she was doing at preschool and boom, he just got that straight away. So visually, um, you know, as a three-year-old, I can remember, even though we couldn't really talk to him and he didn't understand, I can remember him walking back and forth to the computer, typing into Google Disney off the label of one of his videos. So just sitting there, he'd seen it and he'd worked out how to do a Google search. So the thing is that, that these little kids, whilst he had no language and wasn't toilet trained and, and had all the behavioural problems. He had some amazing skills and we call these splinter skills. And what we know is that at that programs in the early years, those key early learning years, um, really working with very specialised staff in, in quite an intense way can use those splinter skills to address the aspects of autism that are disabling. Um, now, we don't fix autism, nor do we want to fix autism what we want to do is address the disabling aspects of autism so those strengths can come to the front and um so that that that, that was the situation back then i remember when we got the diagnosis we were walking down the street autism when i was a medical student was a paragraph in the textbook so really very little known about um, we had the name of a, a wonderful ot and we'd get 30 minutes of occupational therapy and 30 minutes of speech therapy in a playgroup. And that's all there was. Um, my wife uh, found a pilot program that was running at a local school for young children. It had a teacher, uh, a speech therapist, and a couple of teacher aides with, with a ratio of one um, 
staff member to every two children and they'd filled their quota but she went and knocked on every door and the local state member of parliament managed to get Andy a spot and for the first time we saw improvements so uh, for example they started him off on a program called PEX which was he rapidly learned if he wanted something he had to show us the card with that picture mm. and then the next step was if he wanted something he had to get a card with I want written on it and that picture and then language started to follow so this was using his strong visual skills, his love of words to develop language. After a year, that program was shut down. And I can remember Louise around that time saying that we had to do something about it. Um, I had some really good role models in that a, a couple of the doctors, um, uh, uh, one, two men in particular, um, had set up the Leukemia Foundation. They were haematologists and uh, they were my um, role models. And having known what they did, I actually knew what you could do. And so having this situation, the service closed down, Andy starting to de-skill, um, and having had been involved with the Leukemia Foundation and particularly the men who set up the Leukemia Foundation, and these were very entrepreneurial men. They also started up um, the cancer business uh, that, that I've become involved in in the private sector. Um, you knew it could be done. And so we haven't used the word passion yet, but... You know, if you're really passionate about something and you connect, you've got drive and you want to do something and you you connect with other good people who want to help you out and fill in for some of your own limitations, there's nothing you can't do. And so that was the start of AIU. And uh, one of my other patients was was a lawyer for, and, and he had clients who were involved in a childcare company at that time. And so he said, why not do it in childcare because there's at least some funding there. Now, that's quite a complicated story, but what we did was we bought a, a church hall, we converted it into a childcare centre and we hired some staff. Um, I remember about a, a week before it was due to open, the licensor came through and said the back rails on this 100-year-old church were one metre and they just changed the legislation. It had to be 1.2 metres. Um, on a Saturday or a Sunday, the builder came in and banged in some things. I, I got in the way a lot. The painters came in and painted it up. And the licensor came in on a Sunday afternoon to give us the all okay. And as our first kids came through the program at nine o'clock on that Monday, the license came through on the fax machine. So, yeah, a lot of people bought into the project in different ways. Um, I think the unexpected outcome of this, I mean, I, I'm not a, an autism specialist or anything, and we just wanted to get a program going where these kids could go, where they would be safe and they would have their speech therapist, their occupational therapist, their behavioural therapist there all the time, um, supervising, you know, um, their childcare staff um, and building the capacity of those people so they would be safe but they would also be learning. And um, the unexpected benefit, so we, we got a real kick along by the state minister at that time who was an ex-teacher, a guy called Warren Pitt, and he created Australia's first autism initiatives and leaning off that initiative, we managed to create a network of centres in Queensland. So um, we've now got nine centres in Queensland. We've got one in Adelaide and we're just in the process uh, with the John James Foundation and with the Ricky Stewart Foundation developing a service in Canberra that will open in a few months' time. Um, we've got a large... We've got 300 children in the program now, so it's one of the biggest services in the world, I think. We've had more than uh, 1,500 children go through the program and the outcomes are quite amazing. Um, you know, 
when they come to us based on their scores, we'd expect maybe one in five children to be able to go to mainstream school. And we consistently see three in five going to mainstream school. We see 90% having functional communication at a year. Toilet training rates are really high, which is so important uh, for a family. And family functioning improves because you've got your child going to a childcare centre. So you've got time to participate in your normal life. You don't have to be a parent at home managing um, these children. And they can be challenging. Um, you can participate in your other children's lives who are often the sort of, um, you know, they miss out. Um, but while they're there and being cared for, they're learning and they're moving forward. That staffing team now, and we've got 200 staff, have built a curriculum. So there's an Australian early childhood curriculum for young children with autism. They've tested it. They've evolved it. They've digitised it. So it's now got to the stage where you can go and commission a new centre and you've got the people out doing it and it's proven and it works. So um, it's been a huge body of work uh, by a lot of people. Um, it's become a significant entity, far more than Louise and I would have hoped for, and it really works. Um, it, it just, it, it really, you know, you see these little children come on the first days and they're terribly anxious and they don't want to come and they're crying and, you know, tugging away from their parents. And two weeks later, they're happily going to the centre, looking forward to being there, and they're starting to gain skills. So it's just what you can do where you've got specialised people who know what they're doing with these children, you can adjust, you can adjust the whole pathway through life, through those key early years. And so that's what AI is about. For sure. So once again, it's focusing on the splinter skills of the children with autism, but then also equipping the parents with the skills to manage these children. And I think that's one of the great things about AEIRU. That's exactly right. There's two components to that. Firstly, you involve the parents in the program so they understand the things that have been doing and then you have continuity at home. But you've also got a child that you can now communicate with and you can understand and whose anxiety levels are lower and who can look you in the eye and understands about taking turns and is toilet trained, etc. So they are an easier child to have as a family member. The other people who are terribly important in their siblings and We've sort of, Andy's now 21 and um, he developed on top of his autism. When he was 19, uh, he was flying, you know, so his autism was a strength because he was so organised. He always thinking ahead of what he had to do. He was funny. Um, he's far tidier than, our, than his older sister and younger brother. Um, but he developed bipolar disorder. And that's been, it's been incredibly tough for us as a family. Um, it's really shown that there's an enormous unmet need around mental health services for people with a disability, particularly those with intellectual impairment. Um, we've had him had to go off, sadly, um, in an ambulance after being sedated by the police. And I learned from the ambulance men how often this actually happens with people with intellectual impairment, um, losing the plot in their accommodation, having to be sedated and taken off to hospital. Uh, the hospital services are so ill-equipped um, to care for these people. And the level of expertise out in the communities are pretty poor. And, you know, I'd love to make a pitch to government that we have to get really good at, um, in fact, I think we should have designated sites in each state where hospitals have real ex expertise around the care needs, both physical and intellectual for people, uh, sorry, physical and psychological uh, for people with um, mental health and intellectual impairment. And, uh, 
they could provide networks of outreach because there's such limited expertise and it, it is so difficult. Anyway, I, I mentioned that for a different reason in that even when Andy was at, was at his very worst, the, the person who could talk to him and communicate with him was with his older sister. It's a bit like that scene with Paul Hogan and the bull where he goes like that. She has that same ability with Andy as here and um, involving the, the siblings is it's not just the parents, it's the siblings and the siblings being involved and knowing what to do. And, you know, um, they actually are an enormous part of an effective process of producing a really good outcome for these young children. And what's been some of your most proudest achievements? Oh, um, well, firstly, I've got three wonderful kids. So um, that's, that's number one on the list. Um, AIU is just tremendous. I mean, you know, to think that a generation of Queensland children have been through this program and for them and their families, it's a totally different pathway. And what, you know, the outcome of putting very dedicated, and I'll say that word passionate again, staff members together who have then built this curriculum and, and the curriculum is an amazing piece of work. And it, it really dials down into the skills that these children need and, and just builds them little step by step, but they know where they're at, they can plan. It, it's, it's, I'm so proud of what they've done in creating the AIU program. And it's, it's much more than just going along and being at a place where there's speech therapy, occupational therapy and behavioural therapy on site. It's a program. It's individualised. It, it really works on what the child's needs are. The documentation is superb. It, it, is, it is a service to rival anything in the world, I believe. So, yeah, um, that, that's probably, you know, outside of family, that, that's the proudest thing, I think. And then in 2015, you were awarded a member of the Order of Australia on Australia Day for your significant service and contribution to children with autism and for your work in the field of oncology. What did that mean? What did that moment mean to you? Oh, look, I think it's an honour, but it, it's actually... I think if I go back to this year, um, the, the Queensland government has things called Queensland Greats, and uh, um, I was made a Queensland Great. And, you know, in, in getting that award, I, I think you're actually accepting that award on behalf of a lot of other people. You know, I think of all the people, um, Eric and his family, uh, the Leukemia Foundation with the shave and all the people who marketed it, um, the people at AIU um, and that curriculum that they've created you're actually being awarded in for all of them and all their work you're the you're the front face of it which these things need but to me that's actually the most important thing is that it's actually it's about all the people and all that body of work rather than any particular individual and yes it's an idea doesn't work unless you unless you have a whole lot of people who, who help and join in and participate and and you know AIU is such a great illustration of that where you know we put together six staff, a minister bought into it, we made it bigger, lots of people involved, great outcome. As they say, it takes a village to raise a child. It does. And what advice would you give to people, Dr James Morton, about following their passions? So um, I think you cannot do these things without passion. So for an idea to succeed and involve, passion is the number one ingredient that you have to have. But passion on its own won't get you anywhere um, it's important that you know what your strengths are and your weaknesses are and in particular with regard to your weaknesses you then work with other people who that's their areas of strength and you respect what they bring to the table um, otherwise you know ideas die so 
you know, you've got to have an idea. It's got to be a feasible idea. You've got to be prepared to put a lot of your time into it. Um, you've got to be creative. So a lot of what we did in AIU to make it successful in the early days was a lot of, you know, creative ideas, some mad fundraising ideas, um, some very creative links in order to raise money or to build centres. So you need creativity. Um, you need uh, people who are going to tell you it won't work and to listen to them. So I'll, I'm, I'm fairly lateral thinker. You need some people who are the more concrete thinkers who are really good at business and business development, and you've got to listen to them and they've got to listen to you. You're both on a journey. Um, so, yeah, it's passion. Uh, you've got to keep sticking at it. Uh, you've got to be creative, but you've got to have really good people around you who balance out what your skills are and what your skills aren't. So it's definitely a collaborative effort in all of this. Yes. And final Correct. question I have for you, Dr. James Walt, because you've been so great with your time. Where can people go to learn more about your work and the organisations that you support? Well, there are three organisations. So obviously the world's greatest shape for a cure and that's happening very shortly already. Um, AIU, just visit the website, aeiou.org.au. It's really something I'd like to see expand uh, more broadly nationally. Um, and finally, I'm, I'm part of a, an enterprise called ICON, which is um, an Australia-led company out of Brisbane that's delivering cancer care now into Asia. And it, it's an amazing initiative. And some of the things that the people are doing uh, in ICON uh, are just groundbreaking in terms of uh, logistics around cancer delivery into different parts of the world. Dr. James Morton, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the Past Effect to talk about your passion for medicine, to talk about everything that's going on in hematology and oncology. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. And that's it for episode 27, part B of the Passion Effect podcast, which concludes this two-part series with clinical hematologist, Dr. James Morton. If you enjoyed today's episode, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Passion Effect podcast. I'm your host, Jack Pittman, and until next time, keep following your passions.